street, and, uh, and it didn't break because it's holy. Let's just set that there. All right, Exodus chapter 3. It's, uh, as you know, we do verse-by-verse uh, verse sermons uh, here. I've been doing that for the last year, First Peter, Second Peter, and um, praying through what the Lord wants me to bring next, whether it be First John and John's letters, First John, Second John, Third John, or First Corinthians, um, or Luke. So I'm, I'm praying through all that. In the meantime, I'm doing some sermons that I've always wanted to do. And so this morning, we are going to talk about Moses. More importantly, we are going to talk about Overcoming our inadequacies through Christ by studying the interaction between Moses and God in chapters 3 and chapters 4. Heavenly Father, we come before your word, and Father, we are thankful that we have your word, for you are the word. And Father, as we explore your word this morning, I pray that we would write it upon our hearts so that we would grow in the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding and faith in you. And so, Father, bless this time in your word this morning in Jesus' name. You know, in life, we will face challenges. We will face situations that will generate feelings of inadequacies. I bet you if I asked if anybody's ever had a feeling of inadequacy where you don't feel qualified or capable or, or uh, able to do something, I bet you almost everybody's hands would go up. In fact, I would expect everybody's hands to go up. You know, that feeling that we're not good enough at something or qualified enough or talented enough to the things that we're asked to do, whether it be in ministry in the church or whether it be at work, where the boss asks you to do a task you've never done before. Or in school, I'll never understand biology or calculus, whatever class that you take that seems to be overwhelming. You know, we're all familiar with the story of Moses, I believe. Moses is one of those identifiable characters in the Old Testament. And most people, if you ask them about Moses, even if they have just a rudimentary knowledge of the Bible or no knowledge at all with the Bible, they all know Moses because probably of Charlton Heston, who portrayed him. But everybody kind of knows who Moses is. And so for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the story of Moses as it, as it relays in chapter 2. I do encourage you to go home and study chapter 2 to understand you know, how Moses came about. And, and how God orchestrated all the events to get him exactly where he wanted him to be, as we'll see here in chapter 3. We just don't have time to go through and do an abbreviation. So here where we're going to pick up is in Midian, after he fled from Egypt. And this is where we find Moses. We find Moses now married. He has children of his own. Long since past is his time under Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh's daughter's house, and his people, the Hebrews. Moses is now living a simple life of a shepherd under his father Jethro. Then one day, God summons Moses by way of a burning bush. We know the story. 
probably been told it several times in Sunday school as a kid. And he chooses him to go to Egypt to free the Hebrews from the captivity of Pharaoh. And we find this exchange in chapter 3 of Exodus and chapter 4 of Exodus, where we're going to spend our time this morning. This is where we're going to focus on in this sermon. Now, when we look at the full life of Moses, we see a committed and confident follower of God. We see courage as a deliverer under the oppression of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. We see him as a leader of thousands who led them for 40 years in a desert and prepared him for the promised land. We see a man of great conviction, steadfastness, loyalty to the Lord. We see a great writer and a great scribe under the hand of God. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He was an honorable judge of the law as well. And we see that he's a great intercessor of prayer on behalf of his people unto God. And so we see all these grand qualities of Moses. And yet, Moses himself felt woefully unqualified because of his inadequacies that he self-identified and didn't think he could be used by God. This morning, I want to examine the self-identified inadequacies that Moses uses as excuses when God called him from the burning bush to do a great and mighty work. And my hope is that we, through Moses and the study of Moses that we ourselves would look at our inadequacies differently. We may have self-perceived inadequacies. Oh, I could never do that or don't ever call me to do that. But you know what? When they are met with Christ's sufficiency, you don't have inadequacies. And we're going to learn that. We're going to see that. So we're going to jump right to the excuses. And I have five excuses that Moses uses in his interaction with God. And the first excuse is, who am I? Who am I? It's found in chapter 3, verse 11, where God is calling Moses to deliver his people. And after hearing God calling Moses, he says, who am I? You can say, like, who, why are you calling me? I'm nothing significant. I'm a shepherd. And because Moses said this, we can see the inadequacy of insecurity. Sorry, I don't have that. Or identity, the inadequacy of identity. And this is the first excuse Moses gives to God. And it reveals a lack of confidence in himself and what God was calling him to do. Long gone was the prince of Pharaoh, who may have been in line with the throne. We don't know, but he was in Pharaoh's house. He was a male. That could have happened. Long gone was the assumed education that Moses received while under the house of Pharaoh, coupled with his life of privilege and power under Pharaoh as a Hebrew. And this made him no doubt confident in who he was. Strong and capable, a man of authority, someone to be respected. And at all of that, 
seemed to erode away in his time in the desert of 40 years. I also can't help but think that the situation, if you remember, involving the two Hebrew men forever shaped his assessment of himself. You recall, he was walking about and he's seen the Egyptian being harsh with one of his Hebrew brethren and he killed him and he tried to hide him in the sand. The next day he was out and he seen two Hebrew men and they were battling each other. And he said to one of those men, why are you so harsh on your brother? And the response of the men forever changed Moses' life. And it led to his insecurities. Because they questioned, who are you? Who are you, Hebrew? Are you going to kill us too? And no doubt that had an effect on Moses' life. And I believe it created a great conflict in his life that led to those insecurities when he wasn't accepted by his own people. Have you ever been rejected by those that you felt would always receive you? That's a different feeling. And it can happen on the smallest level. I remember when I was moved out of my squadron and moved up to the wing. Now, I was, I was a cop. My whole career was team, being a part of a team. Being a part of a flight, being a part of a squad, being part of a fire team, being part of a, of, a, of a squadron. And now I was up there by myself, alienated, not surrounded by cops, but pilots. And I felt like I was out on an island. And my commander was the one that came down to my office and said, you need to get out of here and go up to the wing. I felt like I was kicked out. Well, he was only doing what he was told to do, but that didn't changed the way I felt, felt alienated. Now I can understand how Moses feels on a grander scale. The very people he was trying to help rejected him. I can't help but believe that that didn't lead to insecurities. You know, insecurities develop when we have a crisis of self, a crisis within ourselves. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough to play sports or that sport. I'm not good enough for God because I keep sinning in the same area and I keep failing no matter how hard I try. We all have them. You can all stand up and give an example of an insecurity because of that, because of a crisis of self. Some are known to us, others are not, and we suppress those that are not, and that's not always healthy. And so Moses, having a crisis of self, given his past and who he has become and his failings in a huge way, he's also failing again to fully recognize who's talking to him. He's not speaking to his father Jethro. He's not speaking to his children or his wife or Aaron, his brother. He's speaking to God, his creator. His sustainer and the true source of who he really is. And this is all being missed by Moses because he's focused on his own inadequacies. See, we can ignore God when we're focused on the things we don't think we can do. 
versus trusting Him to do all things through Him. We can feel the same way about ministry. I can't teach Sunday school. Are you crazy? Kids don't like me. That may be true. It doesn't mean you can't teach Sunday school. I can't preach the gospel. Are you kidding me? There's no way. I said that once. I can't lead someone to Christ. That, that, that is not my gift. That's not my talent. I'll find somebody else who's an evangelist to do that. I can't go to the hospital and visit the sick. I can't be used by God in that way. We can all find ourselves saying, who am I, Lord, that you would use me or desire to use me in that way? That's not me. In fact, this question may generate within us when God is calling us to do something beyond our perceived ability, and that's okay to have a little bit of consternation. It's what we do with that determines the strength of our faith. Do you want to run or do you want to be used? Do you want to be used of God or not used of God? Now, I can make a sermon longer by describing all of the gifts that God has given us for the purpose of ministry. Every one of you has gifts. Don't think you don't. You do. And it's all for the purpose of ministry, and not everybody has a thumb, not everybody's a finger, everybody we balanced out as a hand. I can stand up here and tell you about John 15, 15, apart from me, you can do nothing, or I can sit up here and do Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and a host of other scriptures that are all true, that should all be written on our hearts. But here's the deal. When God calls you he will be with you. He will be with you. In fact, that's a... In fact, what he said is, how encouraging is it that God will send you out and be with you when he does? The God of creation is not calling upon us, upon you, but is promising you that he'll be with you. This is not only a promise to Moses, this is a promise to everybody who is called by God, you and me. I think we forget that. In fact, we have the Holy Spirit within us, which is the power of Christ to do the things he's calling us to do. Brothers and sisters, God's calling is never a call of self-sufficiency. Tim, I need you to go and do this ministry on your own, in your own strength. Just throw up a prayer when you need some help. See what I can do. He never done that. He never will do that. And the two mistakes that we make in self-sufficiency is that one, we don't think we can do it, therefore we forget God's promises, or two, we think we can do it all by ourselves and in our own strength. Neither one are acceptable. But it's a willful release to God to let Him do it through you. And it's amazing when He does. 
God always empowers those whom He calls. That is Scripture. That is biblical. That is a promise. It happens. Do you remember the last words that Christ said as it recorded in the Gospel of Matthew? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. His last words. His last words. You know, when I was studying this, I was like, how many times have I read that? And I didn't realize that was the last word recorded by Matthew to the disciples. I'm leaving, but I'm always with you. I'm always with you. And so don't think because you're called by God that you're unable to do the things that He's calling you to do. Don't say, who am I? Say, I am here. Excuse number two. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Interesting. Interesting question. Interesting excuse. And this reveals the inadequacy of credibility. Of credibility. Within the first excuse, Moses seen the inadequacy of his insecurity. Now he's faced with a credibility issue. He already questions himself and his own ability to do what God is calling him to do. And when carry forward this insecurity in relationship to his credibility with others, especially the Hebrews who rejected him. They won't believe me. They rejected me. And to this, Moses knew the Hebrews, or at least recalls them. He knew that they had leaders. He knew they had elders. And here comes a runaway Hebrew who was rejected by his people, coming to tell them, I've come to give you a message from God that he wants to deliver you from the hands of Pharaoh. And in Moses' mind, it was, yeah, right. Who are you? That's what he thinks the response is is going to be. Now, in an effort to improve our biblical reading and interpretive skills, always take note when the author continuously repeats something in Scripture. How many times does God, in chapter 3, repeat Himself, such as in verse 6? I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He repeats it several times. In verse 15, in, in chapter 4, verse 5, why does he keep repeating this? Because it's a message for Moses. The first reason is Moses, although a Hebrew, was not raised in the Hebrew tradition. And in each of these utterances, God is proclaiming his covenant that he made with Abraham with his people. And he reaffirmed it again with Isaac. He reaffirmed it again with Jacob, his grandson. Abraham's grandson. And we refer to these three men as the patriarchs. Of the, Israeli, of the Israelite people. And although Moses knew he was a Hebrew, we do not know if he knew his heritage. We do not know if he knew or understood the covenants that was given to Abraham. And so he's reaffirming this to Moses. Moses, I've made this covenant with Abraham. I reaffirmed it with Isaac. I reaffirmed it with Jacob. And in that covenant, 
was to deliver his people to a land flowing with milk and honey. I am calling you to deliver them to fulfill this covenant. You see, God, when he calls you and he empowers you, he's already laid the foundation of what you're going to do. It's already laid. It's already prepared. It's already decreed. You just don't know that. Secondly, God is providing Moses with the credibility when he goes and meets the elders of Israel. For Moses to go and speak to the elders of Israel or the Jewish Hebrew people, this would grab their attention because they knew the covenant of Abraham. They knew the inheritance they were supposed to receive. They knew their current situation was not of God's ultimate end. And so they would have given him credibility. But there's one or another reason why God keeps saying this. is because he prepares him to hear his name. I am who I am. I am who I am. Now, this is the first time God ever given his name in Scripture. Prior to this, they called him Elohim, which is more of a title than a name. And God gives Moses his name because the Israelites were sur was surrounded by deities in Egypt and the false gods who was, this false god was, was responsible for this area. This false god was for fertility. This false god was for protection. This false god was for, you know, wealth. And this false god was this. So they had all these little deities in Egypt that the Hebrews were exposed to, and none of them was one true god. None of them was all-sufficient, all-controlling, all-knowing, all-powerful. Until now. I am means he's self-sufficient. I am means he's self-sustaining. I am means God who was, God who is, and who will be forever. And so Moses, in his inadequacy of credibility, has been given an answer by God, and his name for all of Israel to hear. God gave Moses the credibility. Moses seen his lack of credibility within himself. You know, at times in ministry, God calls us to one of the most difficult areas of ministry. And as elders, we have prayed for many of you in this area, so it's not going to be a shock or a surprise. And that's the ministry of our families. Reaching those in our family for Christ. And it's a very difficult ministry, and it was also for Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, I'll read this for you. This is Jesus. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? 
How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. You ever felt like that? Now, Jesus didn't have any inadequacies. But sometimes we feel like we don't have credibility with our own family. I felt that way, still do, when I talk to my family about Christ. As a result, it's hard to share and minister because they all see you for who you were not who you are. Now, what is really interesting about this verse, as I just read, is verse 5, right? He could do nothing because of their unbelief. Brothers and sisters, we have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the I Am, because He referenced Himself that way as well. And we have His Holy Spirit within us. We have I am in us, which gives us great credibility for doing the work that God has called us to do. Do not think that because those close to you do not believe that God's hand of credibility does not rest upon you. Because it does. Excuse number three. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Here we see the third insecurity that Moses has, and it's one of believability. Now within this verse, Moses forgets, or he did not hear because he was so focused on his own inabilities, what God said to him. Listen, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. He said, they will listen to your voice. They will hear you. They will not reject you. God has not only shown himself and given him his name, but he assures Moses that they will listen and go with him. It's a promise. And yet... He still does not believe God. Now Moses at this time is not looking for something definitive, but he's still looking for an out, and we'll see that later. You know, we could be the same as Moses here. How will they believe us when we speak of Christ? Now God does not operate by signs anymore where a staff becomes a snake or a leper's hand becomes well as we see in in, in these two chapters, or waters turned to blood when poured on sand in order to convince someone of what we're saying. We now have the complete Word of God that is all sufficient. And it is the Word that is the Spirit and the truth that brings life 
that we share with others. Listen to what Paul says. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And what is this power? Signs and wonders? Staffs turning to snakes? Hands and leprous? No. It's the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life and in the life of the hearer, confirming what you were saying to that person. When I was first witnessed to by men of God, what they were saying I rejected in the reactive sense. Ah, you're full of baloney. And I walked away going, no, they're not. Then they would tell me about God's grace and God's forgiveness and how God loves me. <laughs> you Bible thumpers. It's true. They would say that without Christ, without faith in Christ, you'll be judged and be eternally separated from God. I've been baptized twice. I'm good. No, it's true. It's true. You see, I wouldn't let them see my heart, but God was working on my heart. God was wooing me unto them, and those words that they were speaking to me were confirming in me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that Paul is talking about. The power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of those that we're talking about. Remember, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's out of John chapter 6, verse 44. We no longer need these signs because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us and in the lives of those who are being saved. Never concern yourself with being believed. Never concern yourself with being believed. Moses was failing to see Because it was all about him. His focus was on him. He viewed being believed rest within his own ability. He was failing to hear what God was telling him. Paul the missionary, one of the greatest apostles and apologetists and teachers of the law, upon closing his argument in Athens, and we find this story in Acts chapter 17, verse 22 through 34, as it relates to the altar of the unknown God. I hope you're familiar with that story. If not, I would definitely go and study it tonight. And when Paul talked about, I know that unknown God, let me introduce you to him. It says, some believed and some did not. Some believed and some did not. Paul did not walk away going, gosh, if I would have just said this word or that phrase, or maybe if I would have used this catchphrase, maybe I would have hooked them. Or if I would have revealed this scripture or that scripture after the fact, Maybe then they would have been saved. You know why Paul didn't think that way? Because that's not how people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about your ability, your gift, your, your, your eloquent speech. It's about being used as a vessel of God to share the truth of the gospel. And for that gospel then to be ignited in faith by the Holy Spirit operating in their life drawing them unto themselves, 
You don't save anybody. You're just used by God to do His work. And what a great and honorable privilege that is. Because it's for His glory. Because it's for His glory. So God will do that work through you. God will make you believable in the ministry of His gospel. How about excuse number four? We find it in verse or chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Here we see the fourth inadequacy, and that's capability. Capability. Moses was just not making an excuse here. Of all the other excuses that he was making, Jewish tradition and Jewish historians actually believe that Moses struggled with speech. Some say he had a stuttering problem when he got to certain words with certain consonants and vowels. Although he was mighty in word, he was not an eloquent speaker. And of all the excuses Moses uttered up to this point, this one was real. This one had real limitations in Moses' eyes. Not in God's. God called Moses to be a voice for him. Do you not think he knew already? Do you think he had Moses do the Hebrew alphabet to see if he can pronounce every little letter? No. He already knew the weaknesses of Moses. He already knew how his speech was not elegant. You see, God always seems to use the weaknesses of man to demonstrate His power. Paul said in his second letter to the 1 Corinthians, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. God's power and strength is revealed in our weaknesses. Not in your strengths. Because what happens if we operate in our strength absent of God? Pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency. But in our weaknesses, where we see God move in our weaknesses and do a mighty work, then all the glory goes to Him. And we are blessed for being used. Now, how did God respond to Moses' claim of inadequacy of capability here? Well, let's look at verse 11. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God already knew. And if this was not enough, he said, fine. In fact, his first trickling of anger occurred when Moses rejected this. And God's anger was spurred. And he says, well, fine, I will send Aaron. Aaron is a man of eloquent speech. Aaron will be your spokesman. But understand how this is going to work. I'm going to speak to you, and then you're going to speak to Aaron. And then Aaron is going to speak to the people. You see what God did there? He didn't say, you know what, Moses, you know, this exercise has been an exercise in futility. 
I appreciate your time. Can you go back and send Aaron? I think I got the wrong guy. Mm -mm. God didn't do that. Brothers and sisters, whatever God calls you to do, He will do through you. I hear this more than I care to hear it. God did not design me that way. Mm -mm. God didn't make me to do things like that. Mm -mm. No, that's not me. I could never do that, brothers and sisters. This is exactly the same excuse as Moses has given God. It's the same excuses. And we sit here and we go, what was Moses thinking? That's us. If we limit God and what He can do through us. You have no idea what Christ can do through you until you allow Him to do it and believe upon Him that He will. There is no way 20 years ago you'd tell me I'd be doing what I'm doing now. No way. Are you kidding me? I couldn't put a coherent sentence together without a few superlatives, a colorful language. I was just in Minneapolis for team meetings. I have a fellow agent. I don't know how he does an interview without cussing. Every other word. He uses it so much it loses its significance. And I was just like that. And to think that God would use me to do what I do now, I told you you're crazy. To say that Christ cannot use you in any capacity as He desires is to limit Christ and reveal a weakness in your faith. Not within yourself, but a weakness in faith in Christ. This is not about believing in self. This is about believing in the power of Christ. Have you ever heard this phrase and you know, like little statements on pictures and stuff like that? Don't limit yourself, Right? No, no. Don't limit God. Don't put God in a box as to what He can and cannot do through you. He called a shepherd who had been lost for 40 years in the desert to deliver His people, to take them and prepare them for the promised land, to write the first five books of the Bible. Just read Genesis. When he talks about the stars and how God started time and how he fashioned the stars in the heavens, Moses wrote that under the inspirational hand of God. Used mightily. Remember, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Who said that? Jesus. Who is he saying it to? You. Initially to the disciples, but to you. Excuse number five. We find that in verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. Now, when we come to excuse number five, in reality, it's not really an excuse as much as it is a concession, right? But if I had to identify an inadequacy with this, it would be timidity. Timidity. 
not having a high faith in oneself. And this is after God promised to be with them. God gave Moses his name and promised that he would be listened, that they would listen to him, and that he would show, show signs and wonders. And he also gave Aaron as a spokesman, as a mouthpiece. And still, Moses said, send, send somebody else, Lord. I, this is all great and good, but I ain't your guy. I'm not your guy. Here's a few things we need to understand here. As I said, God chose Moses, and he was going to use Moses, period. He wasn't going to replace him with Aram. He wasn't going to replace him with another person more capable. He said, no, I want to use you. I'm going to demonstrate something to you, and I'm going to use you, and we're going to deliver my people because you're going to do this for me, Moses. You're going to do this for me, Moses. God was committed to using Moses for an immensely important work that Moses couldn't even comprehend, would never understand if left unto himself. It's the same with us. When God has committed to use you, He will use you. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now think about that. God has works for you to do right now. You don't even know are coming, but He's already prepared you to do. And He's paved the way for them to be done. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He does what he says he does, and he completes what he says he completes. You know what these verses tell me? That God has called us to do a work we are ill-prepared to do and never thought we could do, and he will do it through us in ways we never thought possible for His good and perfect will. What an amazing God. What an amazing God to use us for His mighty work. Brothers and sisters, in life, we will face moments of inadequacies, moments of identity crisis, Credibility crisis, believability crisis, capability crisis, and timidity. We just don't think we're good enough. And as we've learned this morning by exploring the narrative of Moses, we see that these inadequacies are self-generated, self-identified, self-defined. And even if we have a physical disability that we don't think God can use, He will overcome it and use it for His glory. Whenever you feel moments of inadequacy, remember it is God, I am, who resides in you by way of the Holy Spirit. And whatever He calls you to do, He will equip, He will empower, and He will bring it about. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the inspiration of your word, the encouragement of your word, the building of faith because of your word. And so, Father, as we come before you, you are all sufficient. There is nothing you cannot do through us. We just have to make ourselves available, Lord, and believe. Believe in faith, even in the midst of our inadequacies. So, Lord, use us. Fill us as an empty vessel to be used for your glory, to witness to that neighbor, to witness to that coworker, to witness to that family member, to do that ministry, Father, that's burning inside of us right now that we feel that we're incapable of doing. Father, move us to do the great works that you've called us to do so that, Father, we can glorify you and your kingdom. Let us never say, who am I? But I will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.